I think there's a way where fiction can restore the real horror of, of how our economy runs to us and our own complicity. You know, it's not an exaggeration. It's not hyperbole to say that we're <laughs> siphoning off the dreams of children, right? Or the horizon light of, of a generation. Do you like books? I'm outlining a new writing project. Who wrote this book? Read it. Read it. Sometimes I'd write something. What are you writing? Have you written anything lately? I'm Amanda Stern, and this is Bookable. On today's show, American insomnia. Have you had trouble sleeping lately? We sleep at night and wake in the morning. Did you take a pill for it? But for millions of Americans, sleep doesn't always come easy. In America, this is how we treat even the minor things that ail us. But what if sleeping pills no longer worked? What if your insomnia was so acute it could kill you? you know about <laughs> insomnia well our guest today exactly there yeah. she games out a scenario where an insomnia cure mirrors all the corporate greed we've come to expect from big pharma and it's a nightmare time for an introduction i'm karen russell author of sleep donation karen russell In Sleep Donation, the world is suffering an epidemic of insomnia and an inability to dream with dire consequences. The novella explores what one possible treatment could look like, a sleep transfusion, and the organizations that might exploit it. It started out as a vignette um, about this sort of nonprofit that took donations of sleep and dreams from healthy dreamers for insomniac, so kind of a Red Cross Uh, organization, the Slumber Corps. But unlike the Red Cross, Slumber Corps has few restrictions on who can donate. Sleeping like a baby takes on new meaning with Baby A, an infant with the purest sleep, the calmest dreams, and the only one in the world with a universal sleep type. In other words, everyone wants what Baby A has. And it's in scenes describing that donation process that really set the tone of the book. So there's kind of like a Twilight Zone, Twin Peaksy helmet that the, you know, the dreamer wears, and then you're anesthetized, you go under, and then I just sort of imagine like a, a thick fog fills the room, and and there's you know all kinds of, you know, EKG looking um, monitors to make sure that the transfer is going okay and. You know, the sleep just goes into some long, clear tube. I mean, in this world, it's possible to donate sleep like blood. And I think there's a way, you know, that's the biggest ask of this novella, is that you just have to accept that this is possible. From Sleep Donation, page 13. For the next year and seven months, Dory barely slept. Then the loss became total. The final day of my sister's life unwound with zero regard for the moon or the sun. She died awake after 20 days, 11 hours, and 14 minutes without sleep, locked flightlessly inside her skull. So we're in this world where there, you know, there's like a, a crisis of insomnia, and Trish, the recruiter, she works at Slumber Corps. As you mentioned, lost her sister, Dory, seven years prior of terminal insomnia. Can you just tell us a bit about Trish's actual, like, what's her day job? What does she have to do? You know, she 
she will sort of do these. It's I was thinking of an, an analog to like those blood drives, um, mm-hmm. you know. And so she calls people on the phone and she asks them if they're healthy sleepers to please come in and donate. But she also does these sort of drives where she'll recruit by telling her sister's story. And um, I was envisioning something almost like a possession, you know. So she really in almost tra- it's sort of transmits the nightmare of her sister's suffering and death. And she really does a pageantry of that to convince people um, to please give to this organization. You know, she, she, and there's also sort of the subtle, uh, a subtle undertow um, of coercion or threat. You know, there's this idea that if you don't give, this might happen to you or your family. Um, and that ends up being something she grapples with a little bit later. She starts to have her doubts about this mission and the, the organization itself. Um, and, you know, uh, but I think that the story is very haunted for me by the death of this sister. Um, and, you know, as a writer, I don't know, I, looking back now, I can see how much of this is also, you know, I've always thought of books as the original dream exchange technology. You know, that's the way that, you know, writing is a spell of language and that's how you you take something that's sort of unspeakably private and then you give language to it and you transfer it into the reader's body. Or if you're a reader, you know, you receive an author's dream and model it. Um, and I think there are all kinds of reasons why people write books. And um, I know that for me, one of them, part of it is sort of, there's there's some unbearable dimensions to the past or there's something sort of un, unbearable about being, <laughs> you know, you, the the solitary host of a dream. And I think sometimes that is part of the impulse is you want to share this the deep privacy, this this private wilderness inside you. You you do want to give it uh parts of it to others, right? You want to score a dream for the reader's brain. Yeah, totally. I mean and that's in that way, this book is just it's like meta, meta, meta. Um, you know, writing is a dream state, reading is a dream state. This is about lack of a dream state. So the Slumber Core is run by um, Jim and Rudy Storch, who are these brothers who used to be like the titans of toilets. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, they sunk all their money into this Slumber Core idea. Yeah. They made ergonomic toilets. I don't know. That was so funny to me. <laughs> and I, it is um, funny. And, I, and I, I was thinking, obviously, of you know the Koch brothers and uh-huh. you know other other sort of um, the dark money that flows into politics from these you know corporate titans, and sometimes their their fortunes come you know from hilarious endeavors. So yeah, there are these this organization that I think it says something about my own bedrock cynicism, I guess, that it's hard for me to believe that something as beautiful as like a clear, you know, the circulatory system of sleep and dreams and we're giving to the needy mm-hmm. and, and it's a pure gift. You know, it was just very difficult for me to believe that America, <laughs> you know, American capitalism wouldn't race in and turn that into a commodity almost immediately, you know. It's what we're best at. True. I mean, I live in Portland right now and it was wild to watch weed go from this, you know, uh, illegal substance that we're we're just going to punish in these insane ways. Anybody who sells or buys weed and then, you know, seconds after its legalization, it's like Costco presents. (laughs) (laughs) From Sleep Donation, page six. 
We operate out of a Moby office, six interlocking trailers dry docked on a vacant downtown lot that the Corps leases from the city. The Labyrinth, Rudy calls it. A former FEMA engineer designed it as a temporary accommodation, a base camp for local teams working at the frontiers of the crisis. We've been working out of our tin cans for half a decade. Nobody suggests moving into a brick-and-mortar office. Nobody wants to peer through glass windows in a building with a foundation and admit that the insomnia emergency is now a permanent condition. So how much sleep can the sleep core drain from one person? Um, oh, gosh. This is like a quiz I'm going to fail. I feel like... We'll make it up. Maybe... Yeah, I really think, but there's a limit, right? You can only take like six hours at a time or something like that. Yeah. There's some, they're in the same way that like they wouldn't take gallons of your blood, right? You know, it's exactly. they're like they're going to take maybe six hours and give you a little rest. Right. Um, you know, my mom is a really rare blood type. And I just, I'm sure part of this, the horror of being overdrawn or drained when I was, she's a very generous woman. And when I was a kid, I remember, you know, my dad would complain. They would call all the time asking for donations and, you know, in a way where it started to feel almost unsafe, but it was such a direct and simple way, right? She'd be like, well, I'm saving a life. I'm not going to say no. And I'm sure that that imprinted on me as a kid, right? Just feeling like, oh, the need is so overwhelming. And my mom is such a generous person. And in the way, you know, obviously she, she was never in real danger, but just thinking like somebody like my mom who really has a low immunity for others' requests mm-hmm. and, and, and really that has is just one of the most beautiful people and her desire to help. I think mining was another metaphor that's just um, you know, shot through this novella because right, we're 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 sucking all the aquifers dry, the literal aquifers. Why wouldn't we do the same thing um to the materials? And we we have a an economy that you know, it uh we're everyone is encouraged to think of themselves as parts and labor, you know. Um you're, you see it everywhere right now. I mean, this isn't, this is just, lit, it's just fact. People do sell their plasma. People do, you know, <laughs> um, there are kind of gruesome stories about organ don, you know, f- forced organ donation. And it's, it's a, it's a scary world. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of um, the immortal life, Henrietta Lacks. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I kept on thinking about that, about that theft of her cells, um, yeah. you know, from one woman without knowing uh, that she right. was donating these cells that, you know, perpetuated forever and saved a lot Perpetu- of life. And I think that's what it was. I Absolutely. Right. And there's something terrifying. I mean, I didn't realize that, you know, I, I gave birth sort of recently. You sign these forms and you actually are giving away. <laughs> it's a big giveaway of... You know, I mean, I, you know, I was happy to donate um, a placenta, and even that is such a strange thing to, to to treat legally, you know. But but there's all kinds of um, yeah, biological giveaways that are happening, and um, oftentimes for profit. It's not necessarily like you're furthering science. It's like these are going to be resold on a secondary <gasps> market, and that's scary. That is terrifying because you have to, yeah, read, read the forms the next time you um, give birth. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, but any, but like lots of medical procedures. You know, there 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 are these riders where it turns out like some of your genetic materials are going to be you know kind of resold to private institutions. 
I know that sounds really paranoid, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you better information on this. <laughs> well, I feel like I'm just gonna I, I'll just wait five years and bid on it on eBay. Yeah, <laughs> just buy it back. Time for a short break. When we come back, what happens when your sleep becomes infected and your dreams turn into nightmares? Stick around. Welcome back to Bookable. I'm Amanda Stern here with Karen Russell, author of Sleep Donation. Several years into the insomnia crisis, a healthy, white, middle-aged man decides to donate for the first time. He has none of the 300 known nightmares that would disqualify him from donating. He self-reports in sleep donation parlance as clean. His contribution is a 12-hour unit of sleep. He is Donor Y. You know, he heeds the call. He comes in and he donates sleep. And as it turns out, he has an incredibly virulent nightmare. Um, they didn't know this was possible, uh, you know, when they first started doing these dream and sleep transfusions. But his nightmare starts to infect people. And it's like so terrifying that there's this now there's this like iatrogenic <laughs> crisis where people are refusing to sleep at all. They don't ever want to have this nightmare again. Um, and it just sort of eclipses their entire lives and people commit suicide. People, you know, would rather die slowly of, you know, uh, sleeplessness than have to endure this dream. And nobody knows, you know, there are all kinds of theories. Was this guy sort of a terrorist using this technology to um, implant his nightmare in thousands of people? Um, is he, you know, working for another government? Is he? Uh, you know, just some sadist who wanted to his nightmare to proliferate through the American population, or is he maybe you know a good person who had no idea about his own mind's contents? And I think it, it's sort of <laughs> that last possibility that is the scariest one to me. Just some, some you know, the way that we can be deeply unconscious of what's inside us, and um, you know, some something escaping your body and working its way, you know, damaging others. Um, I think that's a real ancient fear. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think it's also a, like a current fear in a lot of ways too, like spreading the herpes virus or spreading, you know, oh the spread gosh, of AIDS yes. and, you know, people either knowingly spread things or, or they just go and they have sex and spread the disease they didn't know they had. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. With with um with the coronavirus, that was a real paradigm shift for me early on. You know, in the very early days, when suddenly flattened the curve, um, became kind of the you know that that was ubiquitous. Everybody suddenly <laughs> was an epidemiologist talking about flatten the curve, <laughs> and I think that language I found so effective because it helped me to understand I'm a vector of contagion. Right? I, it's not just sort of. I'm assuming a personal risk when I go around. It was I I could be spreading this thing. I could be an asymptomatic carrier of it. And for me that felt so close to the horror of this donor why person, you know, who um who is it you know, you know, no one knows 
who it was, but like this, this nightmare is sort of this <laughs> unprecedented disaster, global disaster. And it's, you know, um, I initially I had tried to describe it and, and the editor very wisely, I think said, it's so much scarier if you only know its effects, you know, if you only know that the outcome is that these women are jumping off bridges so they don't have to dream it again, you know? And I, it's true that anytime I've tried to describe one of my own nightmares, you just see your friend's eyes glazing over and their visible <laughs> relief when you <laughs> want me to stop talking. So. I thought that was very effective, the fact that you didn't describe it. Um, because yeah. you're forcing the reader into you know, wondering at their own worst impulses, their own, you know, what could be the yeah. worst possible dream they could come up with. Um, and it is the not knowing is terrifying, but it is the, the parallel between being asymptomatic as a COVID carrier is amazing. It's like astonishing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I feel that just consciously too, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm always aware of how hard it is to stay awake to your own motives in this life, right? Uh, how little we know sometimes about, you know, the the lunging forces inside us. And I think with dreams, especially sometimes, you know, Amanda, people like to talk about genre, you know, when I, they'll ask about, you know, well, the, where does this sit on the continuum of, you know, realist fiction or the, the fantastical, the supernatural. And it, I always find, I mean, the, I always find myself thinking about the fact that Everybody lays down, you know, we lay prone, you know, for, for hours every night and just model these universes, these like <laughs> yep. phantasmagoria, and then we all wake up and like eat our diet waffles or whatever and like go about <laughs> our day. And it's, <laughs> it's I mean, it's so wild to me. I mean, the most, the most normie person, right? Like the, 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 the turtleneck wearing science teacher he just lay flat for hours and, you know, had like a demon prom inside him. And then, <laughs> so it, I find there's something sort of <laughs> scary and reassuring about that, you know? From Sleep Donation, page 151. What if all donations dry up after the core scandal breaks and more people suffer? What if Jim is a good man, a good thief, doing something ugly but necessary, as he told me, accelerating the science that will lead to a cure. And I've just made a horribly short-sighted mistake. But I find another theory far more plausible. That Jim's plan was never to unlock the cure for the insomnia crisis, but to fill his own pockets. Perhaps the core shadow objective has always been to create new global markets for the most precious commodity of our time. And this is the scenario that closes my throat. You know, the one thing that I find continues to terrify me more and more every day is just the stranglehold that tech has on us. I mean, I'm grateful too. I'm talking to you on Zencaster. You know, we thank, thank goodness for Duo and FaceTime and all these, you know, wonderful technologies. But it's so scary to me that to live in the world, we do have to accept all these terms and conditions and tithe so much of our private lives to Apple, Google, you know, it's very scary. It is scary. And, you know, there are side effects and those, then they take advantage of the side effects. And uh -huh. in this book, it's the same thing. It's, you know, 
Donor Y comes in and he infects his like dream goes his dream goes viral his nightmare goes viral, yes. and um, <laughs> and you know there are side effects to that, but there's also organized around this whole new uh, pandemic, it, like you were saying, is a whole capitalistic um, structure, and yeah. um, one of them one of the structures that's built up is um, the night world. Will you will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I sure will. I love this idea of these night worlds that felt also very um, plausible to me. Uh, I live in Portland right now where we had our own version of a night world. We had something called the safe safe sleep policy, um, which was, you know, beautiful in its intent to sort of help unsheltered people have a safer place to sleep. But what ended up happening was there were these tremendous tent camps, you know, under overpasses by the river um, and then, you know, that policy was ended. And, and so now the streets are sort of clear of these worlds, but you know that the people are still in desperate need. So it's, you know, it's, it's just, in, it's invisible, but it's obviously still, um, still, we, it's not like many shelters, you know, it's not like we have affordable housing and, and, um, you know, funding to end, and homelessness in Portland. So I, anyway, I, I mentioned that just because I think it is, the, it's just another refraction of the world we're living in. So these desperate people start to congregate at night worlds and, you know, a sort of like black market for sleep remedies, you know, they're, they're, they cater to all of these people. There's some people that want to stay awake because they're infected with this nightmare. And there's some people that are insomniacs who haven't, you know, they're, they're way down on the list of, um, you know, donees you know, they haven't received a sleep donation. So they go to these kind of black black market speakeasies and, you know, these tents at the edges of towns. Um, you know, I was just picturing those, like the fairgrounds that feel so abandoned most of the year, being overtaken, you know, like mushrooms sprouting up after a heavy rain, all of these kind of tents. And and I think that is a more kind of whimsical Wizard of oz section where there are these poppy fields that people can pay to unroll a you know, a mat and just, you know, sleep under the moon in these poppy fields and, you know, drink these dubious, you know, lullaby cocktails or, and, or, you know, just, you know, get by oblivion prods, um, you know, by birds whose singing is supposed to reprogram your brain. Um, and right now, you know, in, in like hydrochloroquine and bleach, I mean, they're, they I don't know what the art of the night world would sell, but I do feel like it's been wild to see some of the conspiracy theories and, you know, snake oil salesmen springing up around our own epidemic. Karen Russell author of Sleep Donation. It's published by Vintage Contemporaries and is available now. Bookable is a production of Lao Tree Media. I'm your host, Amanda Stern, five feet tall but a giant in my dreams. We're produced by me, Bo Friedlander, and Andrew Dunn, who also mixed and sound designed the show. Bo is Lao Tree's editor-in-chief. Find us on the web at bookablepod.com and please subscribe and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. And you can read transcripts of all of our episodes at the Writing Cooperative. They're at writingcooperative.com. 
Karen was first interviewed about sleep donation back in 2014 when it was published digitally. Knowing what she knows now, she says she changed some of her answers. If I could go back and give those interviews again, I think I would say, wow, these are not hypotheticals. This de decades from now, I mean, this is, this is the future coming into form. This is Bookable.